My name is information based on a situation that's very, very personal to Sabu and to me. But I'm not your problem. Sabu is. You f- my man. Big time. And now you have Sabu coming after you. You got a beautiful future. Hello, my name is Bob Bamber and welcome to the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast. We're going back in the time machine to May of 1996 for Volume 3 of this month's show. Four volumes for you this month. First up in Volume 1, it's WCW looking at Slamboree. Volume 2 is your WWF show looking at In Your House 8. And we will also be back uh, later in the month, whenever we tape it, uh, for UFC 9 uh, on the Volume 4 show. Uh, we're here in ECW. I'm being joined by two Chris's, so tonight is going to be a very panicky show. Firstly, Chris Lacey. Chris, good evening. How do, Bob? And and Chris White. How do, Bob? Uh, very well, thank you. Uh, it's me to kick us off with the news, actually. Uh, ACW produced their best live event effort since November to remember with their A Matter to Respect show this month. The respect theme that ran throughout culminated in Rob Van Dam rejecting a handshake from Sabu after defeating him. Van Dam then aligned himself formally with Taz and Bill Alfonso. Elsewhere on the show, Shane Douglas defeated Two Cold Scorpio for the ECW television title in a match that lasted 26 minutes. The post-match angle that saw Douglas heavily praise Two Cold Scorpio for asking him to show him the ultimate respect by putting a belt, or the belt, sorry, around his waist. No prizes for guessing how that one ended. The show also featured one of the best ECW title matches in a very long time, a three-way dance between champion Raven, Sandman, and of all people, Pitbull 2. The addition of Pitbull 2 was after a supposed phone-in vote. He was eliminated first before Raven DDT'd Sandman onto a section of the guardrail for the win. In the main event, the team of the Gangsters and Tommy Dreamer defeated primetime Brian Lee and the Eliminators. There were also wins for Chris Jericho, the full-blooded Italians and Taz. Sections of one of the hardcore TVs in April didn't air in New York due to concerns over content. It wasn't the lesbian kiss. ECW had edited that out anyway in an attempt to sell tapes of the show. But instead the part of the Sandman match where Missy Hyatt poured beer down her top. There was also a plan of having Louis Spicoli involved in the title match uh, this month as his WWF Rad Radford gimmick so the Sandman could kill the character off. But for one reason or another, that didn't take place. Spicoli is actually still under contract with the WWF, but they're not going to use him anymore. Um, there was a theory going that he could still work, at least work for ECW, and we don't particularly know where that fell down. Also, for those keeping score, there is talk that ECW's first pay-per-view will be around the time of November to remember later this year. Um, yeah, we have two Chris on the show, so bear with us with that. We also have a show that is essentially just going to be the main A Matter of Respect show review. I will do the TV report, but TV stuff is all either from last month, the, that we reviewed on Hostile City Showdown. The first month is Sabu and Rob Van Dam, I think. That's right. Um, and then the final three TVs of the month are, by and large, just matches from A Matter of Respect. A couple of other things with some storylines stitched in, but I'll get to those as we get to them. Anyway, we'll start with the May 7th show, 
uh, which is the one that aired prior to A Matter of Respect. We interrupt the Dudley's match and the Pitbulls rerun with a breaking feed from Joe Styles on Long Island, New York. He says both Pitbulls have been attacked and have been taken to a hospital. Later on, Styles says it was the Eliminators that perpetrated it. We cut to Dreamer cutting a shouty promo on the Eliminators for being taken away in an ambulance. Styles basically says that without the Pitbulls, it's going to be the Eliminators and primetime Brian Lee against Tommy Dreamer and the Gangsters. As we'll find out on the show itself, I think Pitbull 1 was actually injured, which is why they did that switch. After the Rob Van Dam Sabu match, which you haven't seen, I would highly recommend uh, watching. We reviewed that on last month's show. We cut back to Joey Styles. He's interrupted by Eliminators, who have bloody knuckles. This Saturday night, gangsters, we're going to beat some respect into you. And we will move on to our review of A Matter of Respect. Uh, Chris, you can kick us off with the results. Uh, in the opener, Taz defeated Beef Wellington. Uh, Damien fought El Puerto Rocano to a no contest after Sabu interfered. Damien Kane and Devon Storm with Lady Alexandra defeated the Dudley Boys, the team of Barbara Ray Dudley and Devon Dudley. The full-blooded Italians, JT Smith and Little Guido, defeated the team of Axel Rotten and Hack Mize. Uh, Raven defended and retained his ECW World Heavyweight Championship in a three-way dance, beating uh, Pitbull 2 and the Sandman. Chris Jericho defeated Mikey Whipwreck. Shane Douglas defeated Two Cold Scorpio in a singles match for the ECW World, Hevo- uh, World Television Championship. Rob Van Dam defeated Sabu in a res- respect match. And the team of the Gangsters and Tommy Dreamer defeated Brian Lee and the Eliminators in the main event. Chris Lacey, what do you think of this show? It was surprising that it took until the main event before we got a true walking brawl. Um, last, obviously, the last highlight show I watched, there was lots of more walking brawls, and to get a, ma- a card pretty much full of actual in-ring matches with the brawly bits aspects was really, really nice. Um, good show. Yeah, for those people who listened to our review of Hostile City Showdown last month, uh, me, Dan, and Kieran basically savaged it, and the main reason we savaged it was that it was a incredibly arena-wide brawl-laden show. I think to the point, you know, we were looking at it from a, a quite different perspective from, say, if you were in the arena. I get the feeling, though, that there was that perception across the board that maybe it went a bit too uh, that way. Chris White, what do you think? Well, uh, having watched far less ECW than the both of you, and also not seeing last month's show... Um, I actually didn't enjoy this probably as much as either of you. I didn't, uh, by no means a bad show. It, uh, uh, actually, probably a better than average show, but I, w- I wouldn't necessarily call it good. Uh, a lot of the action, uh, like for example, the uh, Chris Jericho, Mikey Whipwreck match, while, all, while pretty much all in ring, it felt quite slow and ponderous. Um, I didn't find myself completely invested or enjoying uh, one of the matches, maybe aside from the ECW uh, World Heavyweight title, three-way dance match, and even that at times felt like a bit of a mess, which I guess is to be expected when you've got Sandman in there, but and it sort of comes with it, like it's part and parcel of having him in a match that has to come with it, but it did uh, bring the match down at certain points for me. So overall, I didn't think it was a bad show, but, uh, but I wouldn't go as far as calling it a good one. Interesting. I thought this was the best ECW show since November to remember. Um, I, I kind of gave that away in the news, I suppose, as well. But in terms of 
the balance felt about right. I mean, maybe I was always going to like this show on the basis of having sat through Hostile City Showdown last month, but the balance felt a lot better. We got the arena ride brawl in the main event, and I kind of thought, yeah, we're probably due an arena ride brawl in the main event. Up until that point, it was like, we don't need one. Um, the in-ring action was good. I thought that title match, um, you know, the, 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 the addition of Pitbull 2 turned what would have been very likely a quite dull and predictable Sandman Raven match that I have seen at least, and ECW, regular ECW fans will have seen quite a lot of, turn it into a far better match than it had any right to be. Not in terms of a, a great match, but in terms of a spectacle and having a guy that, you know, is very capable, it gave them someone to bounce off and it all of a sudden set up a lot more set pieces that we wouldn't have seen in a in a two-way match um other than that there was nothing stand out on this show i'm sure shane douglas would like to think his match with two cold scorpio was great i don't think it was but it was good um and other things on the card it was there was enough going for this it, it was uh the balance was right and having sat through hostile city showdown last month I'll take it. Well, we didn't see the um, Taz Beef Wellington match on our tape, so we'll have to skip past that, nor did it air on Hardcore TV, so forgive us for that. But we will start with Damien versus El Puerto Ricano. This isn't Damien Kane. He'll appear in the next match. We cut into the match. Joey Styles says both men have been working this match as a tribute to Sabu, who Judy runs out and lays the piss on, lays the piss out of them. Sabu lays them both on a table, then does a slingshot leg drop through it. Crowd chance ECW and Sabu. Uh, Chris Lacey, a quick thought on this. I thought this was quite a nice set piece for the opener, but I think the key aspect of this was my takeaway was Sabu is listening. For me, it was very much like the start of hardcore TV, where you're given a little something to sort of grab you in, and then you get the, the video package to start the show. And I liked that, you know, Sabu came out, did what he needed to do, do his bit of spot, thank you very much, and left. And it sort of it gets you engulfed because you know that you're going to get Sabu again later. I think it worked. Chris? Yeah, I enjoyed this. It reminded me, it's not too similar, but one of the episodes of Nitro we reviewed last month, where the show just opened up and you had the giant and Sting in the room with sort of no explanation. They just started having a match, and this just opened up. You've got two guys in, and out comes Sabu. And uh, it's it's just like a, a different way to start a show. It's not a video package to start. It's it's an exciting way to start a show. It's, it, and it, it's different. It made it it felt fun. It didn't take up much time. It's just thumbs up. Good good way to start. Yeah, well, I, I'm getting fairly used to this kind of slightly odd opening. You know, there's there's this trail of thought on on some ECW shows that they have deliberately bad opening matches. Yeah, there's there's this idea that like last year they had deliberately bad opening match on the base of the crowd, which just spontaneously start chanting nine one one, and nine one one could just come out and lay everyone out with choke slams. Nine one one has moved on to past just new, but now they do it with the view that well, we'll just send Sam and 
Sandman out there wielding a cane and whatever, I think it was January, we reviewed that show where Sandman came out and the place just exploded. Um, but I thought this one was more significant, as I say, that we, we debated last month, why is Sabu in the building but not answering Taz's calls and Kieran suggested, a bit tongue in cheek, maybe he can't be bothered. And I said, well that'll be a bit shit, but there was always that thought of, well maybe they're trying to imply that Sabu just doesn't, doesn't watch from the back clearly he does so that was at least something anyway we'll move on to the next match my name is big tits it's Damian Kane and Dangerous Devon Storm you'll remember from WCW a couple of months back and a match with Taz last month too with Lady Alexandra versus the Dudleys Bubba Ray and Devon with Sign Guy and D.W. Dudley Devon is introduced as weighing in at whatever it said on the scale Bubba Ray takes the mic and says my name is but 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 big tits pointing out obviously to Lady Alexandra Storm has to hold Kane back as the fans chant she's a hoe Alexandra puts on some Dudley-style glasses and teases Bubba, and that leads to the beginning of the match. Bubba wraps a chain around Kane's neck before hammering some forearms onto Kane while he's laid on a table. Bubba then just belly flops on top of him, and the table breaks. The Dudleys briefly get a two-on-one attacking on Kane before... Uh, attack in before Kane retaliates with a chair shot. Back in the ring, Storm hits a lovely high-angle dropkick from the top to Devon. We get an actual tag. Devon whips Bubba Ray, crashing into Devon in the corner. Devon then hit I'll, I'll call him Storm, that'd be better. Devon then hits a corkscrew forearm. Bubba hits a backflick on Storm, sending him flying over the top and landing directly on top of D. Dudley, Dudley in his wheelchair. That was excellent. Bubba Ray climbs to the top and hits a splash of sorts on Storm on the outside. Dion hits a standing headbutt, or falling on, sorry, to Kane, but Storm comes off the top with a chair and wipes Devon out. All four men regain their feet, and then they all simultaneously dive at the vacant chair, which Devon gets a hold of for laying waste to both men. Joey Styles then says, If swinging a chair was an Olympic event, then we could send Devon to Atlanta, which is quite a nice joke with a double meaning. With that, Devon then just leathers Bubba with a chair, then the ref, the ref comes to and calls for the bell. After the match, Bubba and Devon get into a shouting match. The other Dudleys try and keep them apart. Chris White. Um... There were a few good highlights from this match that if you saw independently would be excellent. Uh, the backdrop over the rope um, onto the Dudley in the wheelchair, as you said, that was that was a, a particular highlight. Uh, Devon Dudley also hit a pretty nice uh, corkscrew forearm, flying forearm in the early going. There's a few nice double teams in there. But overall, this felt sloppy and wacky to me rather than hardcore or hard-hitting. It, and I... Maybe the, the the players involved in this match don't take themselves too seriously, and maybe wacky was kind of what it was intended to be, but it didn't feel like a serious way to truly open the show. Um, it felt more like a, a mess uh, than sort of like chaotic. So it by no means bad, but I think it had a pretty low ceiling in terms of how good this was ever going to be. And it might have reached it, so... I mean, all things considered, it's not by no means a bad match, but I didn't think it was a particularly good one. Chris? I think the match was secondary for what happens at the end. Um, the whole point where Devon basically starts swinging chairs and hitting anything that moves 
was the bigger thing coming out of this match than the match itself. Um, Damien Kane is limited to what he can do, so you put him in a match, he's not really going to get great deals out of it. Um, I'm interested to see what this dynamic is with Devon and the rest of the Dudleys. Obviously, going sort of into the TV stuff that we see for the rest of the month, obviously, Devon isn't, you know, the friendly, happy-go-lucky, like the the other Dudleys that are about at the moment. He's a bit more big dick than sign guy. So, I think, I think seeing what's going to happen with them will be what we sort of take out of this and where we go. Yeah, it was... I, I, to, to agree with the first Chris, I would call this disjointed in a way. Not say it was bad, but Dangerous Devon Storm didn't feel like he belonged in this match. And I don't, I don't say that negatively or even necessarily positively. It just felt like a, an odd mesh of styles. But he probably helped it in the, that he was doing enough to cover for the fact the other three guys largely weren't. And so the other stuff in the middle, if it had been Damian Kane and Axel Rotten against the Dudleys, I think this match would have been significantly worse. Um, the spot where Storm gets flipped over the top onto DW Dudley on the outside of his wheelchair was really good. Um, just a bit disappointing that a bit like last month, the match just kind of fizzled out. But at least the ref actually called for a disqualification, which was something. JT Smith is out there with little Guido. Smith starts singing Fly Me to the Moon. And we move on next to the full-blooded Italians, as they're now known. That's JT Smith and little Guido versus Axel Rotten and Hack Myers. Fans start with a big JT sucks dick chat. So Smith and Guido decide they've had enough and they walk to the back. They get near the entranceway, then decide, according to Joe Styles, they're going to wrestle the match, then go and rent the Rocky series. Okay. Smith then gets, says something into the microphone. I've got no idea what he says. Rotten starts with his guard up. Smith retaliates to fans pointing at his boner by saying, pretty spectacular, huh? Into the microphone. We get a leapfrog spot into an arm drag. Rotten and Myers clear the ring as the FBI regroup. We cut later into the match. Myers lays in some strikes and hits an elbow on the back of his head. He hits a running leg drop on the apron, but the camera misses it. Myers goes for a sunset flip, Guido sits out on it, grabs Smith's hands through the ropes uh, for something to cling on to, and that's enough for the pinfall victory. Uh, Chris, I see we didn't see all of this, um, but I, I think that might be for a good reason. Yeah, this, uh, for the whole of the card, was the down point. Um, Hank Shaw should not ever be sort of in a tag match, because he should literally be there to give someone a hiding and go away. Um, I quite like the idea of the FBI. I think these two together as wannabe Italians is quite funny. Um, but yeah, it didn't do anything really for me. So, Chris? Yeah, I mean, it's a harsh comment because uh, quite a lot was cut out, but there was so much pre-match stuff going on with them stalling and not wanting to wrestle and then finally wrestling and then being on the mic. and So the match being a whole lot of nothing and lasted about two minutes, just it all felt like a waste of time by the end, really. Um, it The match was, yeah, what we saw, nothing really much happened. And I, I think even having had a whole lot cut out, we could have probably done with a bit more from the start. 
It was filler, really, I think. Um, the, the, the positives I'd say would be that I probably like J.T. Smith as part of a team called the Full Bloody Italians more than I like J.T. Smith on his own. That doesn't say a lot, but it says something. Um, but Axel Rotten, I think we've seen in better versions of this. Hack Myers, Chris says, we've seen in much better versions of this. Let's move on. Next up, early in the card, actually, Raven with Steve Richards, the Blue Meanie, the Meanie Babe, Miss Patricia, versus Pitbull 2 with Francine and Pitbull 1, versus Sandman with Missy Hyatt and Two Cold Scorpio for the ECW World Heavyweight title. We get Meanie and Richards doing their usual Diesel and Michaels pose. Richards throws his Daisy Dukes into the crowd. They throw it back. Richards chucks them back into the crowd, then attempts unsuccessfully to put on Meanie's pair. Sandman grabs a couple of chairs from ringside. Missy and Scorpio pose while standing on them. Sandman drinks a beer. They're also saying this was a fan-voted matchup and they couldn't split Pitbull 2 and Sandman, so they did a three-way. I don't know why they just didn't put them in a three-way. I don't think anyone bought that story, but anyway, whatever. We start with a three-way type, then another. Pitbull 2 wins out and lays both men out. He goes for a clothesline and gets dumped to the outside. Remember, this is usual ECW three-way dance elimination rules, but all three men are started off at the same time. Pitbull 2 takes multiple chair and cane shots to the head, but stays standing. Salman and Raven have a sword fight with a well, with a chair and a cane. Pitbull 2 fires up and double clotheslines them both to the outside. Pitbull 2 lays Raven over the guardrail and hits a rain leg drop from the apron before hitting Raven with some hard chair shots. Salman joins in the fun and levels Raven with a chair. Back in the ring, Sandman goes some wild cane swings before finally connecting with one. Raven attempts to the cover, but Sandman breaks it up. Pitbull 2 goes for a twisting body block, but Sandman evades it and he goes tumbling to the outside. Sandman hits a flying cane shot over the top rope. Raven follows suit with a plancher, taking both men out. Pitbull 2 Irish rips both men into the guard rail before running at them and then being dumped into the crowd. Pitbull 2 hits the Tiger Bomb. Sandman joins him in attempt to pin, but Raven, but Raven kicks out. As an interesting note, when it was Raven pinning Pitbull 2 earlier, Sandman broke it up. When it was Pitbull 2 pinning Raven, Sandman joined in. I say interesting, they don't really ever explain why in an elimination match you'd actually break a pin up, but we'll discuss that at the end. Sandman hits a Frankenstein, or Styles calls it a Frankensander. He and Pitbull 2 flip Raven onto his back for hitting a double clothesline with each man going the other way. We get a ref bump. Pitbull 2 covers the Sandman, then Raven, no count. Scorpio drops the knee on Pitbull 2, but Pitbull 1 comes in and starts fighting. Pitbull 1 has his arm in a sling. Stevie attacks Sandman, puts Raven on top, but there's still no ref. Pitbull 2 lays the table across the top rope. Pitbull 2 lays Sandman on top of the table. The table topples over and Sandman falls awkwardly to the floor. Pitbull 2 hits a belly-to-back from the top rope. Sandman hits that at a sharp angle or whip through. Pitbull goes for a cover, but there's no ref. Sandman attempts an awful second rope elbow drop. He then goes to the top and attempts a leg drop with a cane in his hand. And his stride leg, as I'm going to call it, buckles on landing. That looked horrendous. And while I remember to say it, he was actually injured for the rest of the month after that. And at the end of the match, he was very, very clearly limping around. Not thing we'll discuss at the end. Raven goes to pin Sandman, but Pitbull makes the save. Sandman manages to low blow both men with a single cane shot. Raven sits Sandman onto Pitbull on the second rope. He hits a super bomb, but as he lands, Raven kicks him with his loaded boot and picks up the pin on Pitbull too. Francine goes after the Raven. 
the meanie babe then goes after Francine. Missy gets in there, gets a couple of cane shots. Raven's gonna lay up Missy! Sandman gets a roll up on Raven, but only gets Raven a two. Escapes at two. He goes for another and almost gets it. Raven escapes again! Raven and Delver! No! Then a DDT, still a two. Steve Richards climbs in the ring, shoots for a Stevie kick, but Sandman ducks, and Raven eats it. Sandman goes to pin, can't pin Raven, but Raven kicks out and the crowd gasp with anguish. Sandman flips and decides to dismantle the guard rail at ringside, grabbing a piece and lobbing it into the ring. Sandman whips Raven into the guard rail, which is propped up against the top rope. Sandman goes for a suplex, Raven blocks it, DDT Sandman onto the guard rail and retains the title. I'll, I'll mention, I'll do it actually. After the match, Sandman leathers Beanie with a cane shot. Pitbull's then signal for a super bomb. Sandman helps Pitbull 1 get him up there and Meanie takes a super bomb, basically landing on his arse. Pitbull 2 offers Sandman a beer. Sandman grabs the mic, then offers the Pitbull's Missy, who kisses Pitbull 2. Francine isn't happy at this development and we start a fight. Chris Lacey, where do we begin with that? Well, um, first thing I have to say, you brought it up, I am not surprised that finally Sandman has done himself an injury with that terrible leg drop from the top rope. It's one of those of which it's been a long time coming. Um, as a match, I really, really enjoyed it, which is surprising because the last few sort of Sandman matches that I watched, which oh, I'm so bored. Other than obviously nearly breaking his leg, this match sort of kept him away from doing the things that he looks terrible at doing and kept him with doing the things that he's good at. The brawling, the cane shots, and taking a hide So that worked really well. Um, Seeing Pitbull 2 in a singles match as such on his own and not in a tag team format, really quite enjoyed that. Um, obviously, don't want them to split them up because I love the Pitbulls as a tag team, but you could do something with him if they were to split them up. And this match had a bit of everything, you know, it had sort of good use of weapons, the Double teaming, uh, the, the bit where there's the cane shot and he hits both in the nuts. The DDT on the railings to finish it was really, really good as well. You know, it, everyone came, comes out of this looking better. Chris. This was just so fun. Even like, if you really wanted to, you could, you could probably pick this match apart for little missing parts of logic here or there as you say like breaking up a pin in an elimination match um after uh, uh stevie super kicks raven later on um and then just sits on the floor and doesn't break the pin up things like that but if you sort of just try and enjoy it and like don't pay attention to small things like that this is so fun um i don't know how sandman was walking at the end of the match. It wasn't even, not even from the uh, the leg drop that he got. He just before that, uh, uh, Pitbull puts rope. The table falls off and he tumbles off too. Pit, uh, 
also then takes him to the top rope and hits this like backdrop off the top rope and he just lands on his neck like just straight down on his neck and just pops straight back up i have no idea how he was walking and then about 30 seconds later hits that hideous leg drop and nearly kills himself i, I mean it was just horrible but like I don't know. I, I can't ever imagine enjoying a Sandman match more. It was because he still got things wrong, but it didn't take away from the match. It was just fun. Uh, it, there was the chaos. They, as Chris said, there was just everything. There was brawl. There was parts where everyone got involved, but that, that, that was an overkill. They didn't do that for too long. They didn't focus on interference. And as you, you said, Bob, at, at the end, uh, with the, uh, uh when Stevie super kicks Raven, uh, the crowd lose it at that near fall, and it's just that period before it. I think that in the, the 20 seconds that precede it, I think Sandman gets two big roll-ups, both of which the crowd buy as a potential finish. Then there's a DDT on Raven, and they really buy that one. And then he comes in and hits the kick, the uh, just absolutely at the peak, and it's just a, a sort of tribute to how excellent this match was because it maintained interest throughout. Um, despite certain parts of sloppiness or whatever, it was just fun, and it sucked the crowd into some excellent full finishes near the end, and uh, it was just excellent, excellent match. I've never seen a match probably far greater than the sum of its parts than this one. Um, I don't know that I've ever seen an ECW title match that I've enjoyed more. I think there have probably been better ones, but this was, I mean, you know, I, I think, I think Chris, you, you, Chris White, you said it right when they, you said it about Salmon, but I think it's true of all three of them in the sense that having the third guy meant that they could kind of, kind of all patch over each other's weaknesses because there was always something going on. Um, and it created a lot of set pieces, certainly early doors, so they went to the outside, Raven got to do a plancher, perhaps he's more comfortable doing a plancher where he can get caught by two people rather than one, um, I'm not sure I'd want to be caught, uh, be caught by Sandman alone, um, and, uh, you know, the, as, as the match built, I mean, there were, there were some logic holes, they never really explain why you'd want to break up a pin. I like the part where Pitbull 2 covered Raven and Sandman jumped on top to try and help the pin. Um, but it was just a lot of fun, and I've criticised the ECW title before for maybe not mattering is maybe the wrong word, but not being held at the level it perhaps should be. But there's, there's almost another way of doing it where if you don't want to put it on that high pedestal, just give us fun matches. You know, Pitbull 2 isn't a guy that we would have expected in the, an ECW title match. But, like, if it's just a matter of, you know what, we're just going to forego big matches, we'll just have fun ECW title matches, I don't think that's the worst plan. And, and I think Pitbull too, as much as I'm a really big fan of the Pitbulls, I, you know, I'm, I say better than some of the, the matches parts. I'd argue that's more to do with Raven and Sam than it is with Pitbull too. Pitbull two, like Pitbull one, is a very solid big man or big guy worker. Um, the match was a lot of fun. To fully explain the Sandman spot, we have done it before, but Sandman jumps off the top rope to his leg drop like he's a hurdler. Now, for those who don't know, hurdling, you, you kind of have one leg fully outstretched and you tuck your other leg, generally your left, you tuck it in by your side. So it kind of, you know, you've got a 
jump a hurdle. Now, most people, when they drop a leg drop from the top, will drop both legs outstretched, kind of falling forward. Um, and then that's what they'll do. But Salman jumps like a hurdler. Now, he's got away with it at times, but he just landed with his tuck leg not tucked enough, and it buckled underneath him as he got there. And hell knows how he finished the match, because, you know, he was very, very visibly limping, like quite badly at the end. Um, Chris Lacey, any more thoughts? There was a lot to discuss from this match. It's... If, as you said, if they're going to put the title, as as we've seen before, this early in the card and give us this sort of match, because other things may be more important than the title, we know it shouldn't be, because your title should be your big thing that everyone goes for, and the reason that everyone's here. But if you can put a title match like this together, that during the show makes you not sort of think oh god really have I got this last because you know when I first saw it and went oh Sandman and Raven in a match together I was like oh have we not seen enough of this I was massively surprised at how good it was and really pleased I actually did see it Chris um, the only other bit I have to add would be from the post-match angle is that as long as Sandman's in matches that are this fun, I would definitely avoid, well, probably whatever type of match he's in, avoid giving him a, a microphone because, I mean, his promos are about as good as his in-ring ability. Um, it wasn't the prettiest delivery at the end there. Uh, uh, Darius, does, does it, does it kind of work that Sandman's not a very good promo? Like, isn't, Darius say isn't that part of the act, but, you know, he's just, doesn't give a fuck, it's not particularly coordinated, it's not particularly well executed, it's just Sandman. That's everything about him. Um, I really like the end promo, though. Um, more of Sandman being bros with other people. I think that was a lot of fun. Um, but yeah, this match airs, I think, on the May 21st Hardcore TV. I'll cover that when we get to the TV review, whichever exact show it is. I would recommend watching this because you would, you would not, it's not a great match, but you wouldn't expect matching these two to be anywhere near as far as it was. And the fans at the end were really buying those near falls. The bit where Stevie hits the super kick. And yeah, Chris is right. If, you know, Stevie did just kind of put his head in his hands, but he was kind of over the other side of the ring. So it, it kind of worked. Um, and Sandman covers Raven. Raven kicks out and the crowd kind of gas. Like, oh no, I thought we got one there. They were, they were so disappointed. Like, that was... I never thought I... Because I think after people 2 got out of the match, um, there's, there's another thing. Chris Lacey, Loaded Boot, can you fill me in on that? Because I don't know. It's a thing that was very much around in the territories in the 80s. Um, the original story is that they put coins in their boot that they stand on. And then for the big kick at the end, they kick them all to the front of the boot. So when they kick them, it's basically like having a steel toe cap boot. You know, you've got the heavy metal at the front of the boot as you're kicking them. You know, in 1983... It's, it's ludicrous, isn't it? I mean, let's be honest. Yeah. In 1983, it's perfectly fine. Because, you know, that's what wrestling in the 80s was like. In ECW... 
it doesn't really work as... Well, because last month Raven loaded the boot that wasn't even on his foot. He took the boot off, whacked it on the mat a couple of times, and then whacked somebody over the head with it. It's like, it's just weird. It's, 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 uh, it's, it, I say this a number of times. If WCW were doing this shit, Joey Styles would be all fucking over them. And quite rightly so. It's just a little bit weak. It's like, you know, I, I don't think it would have been that unbelievable if Raven just kicked Pitbull 2 in the back of the head and they just said he caught him in the right place. I don't think they had to have the idea, particularly with all of Raven's foot problems, as we reported last month, Raven kicking the mat for the sake of kicking the mat ain't necessarily a smart idea. Anyway, we'll move on. Next up, it's Mikey Whipwreck versus Lionheart Chris Jericho. The pair exchange slaps. Jericho hits a belly-to-back, then locks in a quite nice submission for putting in a bow and arrow, which Joey Styles correctly calls. He usually calls other moves bow and arrows as well. Mikey fires Jericho into the corner, then hits a drop kick. He then grates, finds the legs, and locks in a bridging chin lock. Jericho hits a lovely stalling suplex and hits a slingshot splash from the apron. Jericho shakes for a tombstone. Mikey reverses it into one of his own. Hits the move despite barely having control of it. That could have ended very badly for Jericho. Head to the top and both men go on the top rope and Jericho leaps airwards. Hits a drop kick that sends him, uh, sorry, sends him into the ring and Mikey's to the floor. Quite the spot that. We briefly end up in the crowd. Mikey struggles back into the ring. Jericho hits an apron suplex or going to the top and hitting a flying splash for a two. Jericho returns to the top, goes for another splash. Mikey gets his legs up. Mikey then hits a rocker dropper for a two. Jericho goes for a trio of running clotheslines into the corner, but on the third one, Mikey flips him to the outside. Jericho climbs onto the apron. Mikey hits a baseball slide through his legs and then drives him into the mat. With Jericho in the crowd, Mikey goes to the top row in the centre of the ring and hits a flip drive onto Jericho in the first row. Mikey hits a flying forearm from the top. Jericho just kicks out. The fans aren't happy with that refereeing call. Some of them chant, this ref sucks. Mikey hits a Frankie Mikey. Jericho ducks a clothesline and hits a suplex. Then a lion salt from the middle rope only gets a two. Mikey hits a Frankie Mikey in the centre of the ring, but Jericho kicks out. Jericho hits a double underhook German suplex into a bridge for a two. Mikey hits a Magistral Cradle, but only gets a two. Jericho crotches Mikey on the top, hits a double underhook suplex from the top rope, and that will do that. And keeping in the respect theme after, uh, respecting the show after the match, Jericho shakes Mikey's hands and raises his arm in the air. Chris White, what do you think? I wasn't particularly high on this match. It reminded me of the opener from, uh, I think it was a couple of years ago, at least a year and a half, we reviewed the uh, Collision in Korea show. And the opening match on that was a Chris Benoit match. And uh, we described it as kind of an exhibition. Like, they didn't feel like there was much meaning to it behind any of the moves. It just felt like two men taking it in turns to showcase a move in front of a crowd. And that's what this reminded me of. It felt a bit ponderous to me. Half speed would maybe be a little bit critical. Um, I think you said in your match report at one point the crowd were chanting this ref sucks. I actually thought they were chanting this match sucks at one point as well. Like, um, I, 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 I think that's a bit harsh and maybe slightly over the top. And it definitely picked up by the end and had a really nice uh, finish with the uh, butterfly superplex. But this felt more like a sort of sort of match you'd see somewhere that was showing you an exhibition of what pro wrestling was meant to be rather than an actual wrestling match which is slightly odd 
criticism because there wasn't too much wrong with it. it. It just didn't feel right. Chris? I am completely opposite to what Chris is saying there. I thought this was awesome. Um, it was a really nice sort of change of pace, especially from the triple threat beforehand with having, you know, exchanges of submission holds. Um, there was a little bit of sort of hardcore with the fact they went into the crowd. You know, the top rope moves in there that were awesome, especially the bit where Jericho basically goes up top and does the drop kick to Mikey to the outside. The the use of different submissions, I thought, sort of was in the way of sort of get what Chris is saying about it being an exhibition at times, sort of speed to it. But with the sort of use of the submissions, I thought that actually worked really well. And I would actually try and make people go and see this. I think this was a really, really good match. Well, stick me in the middle. I thought it was all right. Um, I, yeah, I, I, I quite enjoyed it. I can see what Chris White is saying when he says it felt a bit like an exhibition. I think to an extent when you get a babyface versus babyface match, that can happen. Um, but I'd agree in the sense that there are babyface versus babyface matches where there's a bit of a flow to it, where there's a bit of a story, and I don't know that they ever got that far. I don't think disjointed is a fair way of describing it. It just felt like uh, a, a series of sequences and moves that when you put them together, it was like a puzzle that the pieces didn't fit perfectly together, even though they were the right pieces, like they were trying something. It was a nice match. Mikey is at the point now where he can he can go through a match and he can look competent. Jericho's a guy that's, that's quite well taught. I don't think we've necessarily seen the best of him yet, but I think he's got his ceiling too. And I think between the two of them it was fine, but I, I, I would disagree with Chris Lacey. I don't think it was a great match. Uh, Chris Lacey, quick question. Where, where, in terms of matches on this show, where would you put this uh, to me, I would say it's the third best match of the Mount Knight. Okay, I'd probably have it fourth, but yeah, it's in that mix. It's a, it's a, it's a it's a good match, but I don't think it's any better. Anyway, we move on next to Shane Douglas versus Two Cold Scorpio for the ECW Television Title. Two Cold Scorpio shaves half a pound off of his official weight. Scorpio taunts Douglas with a WWF T-shirt. Douglas grabs the shirt and wipes his ass with it. Douglas hits a takedown. Scorpio pops up and gets in Douglas's face. Scorpio goes for a leg lock and Douglas has to kick out to avoid being pinned. Douglas gets a wrist lock. Scorpio cartwheels out of it into an armbar and then a kneeling abdominal, a kneeling abdominal stretch. Douglas escapes a kip up then locks in an arm lock. Scorpio escapes with a hip toss. Douglas drop kicks into the outside. Joe reminds us that this is a repeat of the NWA tournament final from August of 1994. We get a bridge out of the pin from Scorpio. Scorpio counters a belly to back, hits a backflip and a leapfrog, then blocks a belly to back. Douglas hits a butterfly suplex. Scorpio lobs the chair into the ring. Douglas unfolds it and sits on it. Douglas says, I want to wrestle, but it's all a ruse as he launches a chair into Scorpio's face as he gets back into the ring. Scorpio charges at Douglas, who flips into the outside before hitting a baseball slide and a splash. Douglas lifts up Scorpio for a suplex on the outside, bounces him off of the ropes, and then drops him onto the guardrail. That looked excellent. Excellent in a brutal way. Scorpio lands on his head. That that bit looked horrid. Scorpio barely makes it back inside for the ten count. 
Scorpio clothesline Douglas onto the guardrail. He runs at Douglas, who just bats Scorpio flying into the first row of fans. We enter the crowd. Scorpio breaks a crutch over Douglas's back. Douglas hits a jackknife powerbomb on Scorpio onto the concrete. Scorpio somehow recovers and low blows Douglas. He then hits Douglas with a chair, which elicits some booze. Scorpio hits a cartwheel back, uh, cartwheel backflip overhead kick, sending Douglas to the outside. That was an Eric Bischoff style call from me there. Then hitting an apron moonsault to Douglas on the outside. Douglas sets up a table. It's a big jumping kick to knock Scorpio Luhi onto the table. Scorpio charges off the far ropes. Goes to start the move, and Douglas has disappeared. Douglas calls right under the ring to the other side that blindsides Scorpio. Douglas crotches Scorpio on the top, then vaults off the chair and hits a jumping kick, sending Scorpio onto the timekeeper's table. The legs on one side collapse, but the table otherwise stays intact. Douglas kicks him through it for good measure. Douglas hits a stalling corkscrew suplex, but only gets a two. Douglas goes for a flying something from the top, but Scorpio moves out the way. Scorpio ducks a clothesline with a very nice super kick, then hits a lovely moonsault, but pulls out the pin. This again. Scorpio hits a 450 splash, this time he doesn't even bother going for the cover. Then hits a twisting leg drop, Douglas hits a belly to back suplex, only gets a 2, then a perfect plex for a 2. Scorpio hits a wall arm slam for a 2, 5 minutes remain in the match, half an hour time limit. Scorpio goes for a Frankensteiner from the top, Douglas converts it into a super bomb, but Scorpio still kicks out, the crowds start a round of applause at this stage. Douglas hits a belly-to-belly suplex from the top. The ref reels off a really quick count and Douglas wins the match and the title in 26 minutes and 31 seconds. We'll come to the post-match in a sec. Chris White, what do you think? Um, This was a really good match. I mean, they had a bit of everything in there. The the highlights were exceptional, uh, as you called it, a cartwheel backflip kick. Sort of, That was an excellent move by Scorpio. Um, I mean, it just had a bit of everything. It had the sort of technical opening where both men came across as equals and then uh, before um, Douglas took control. I mean, it it was had a bit of everything. It was hard hitting. The uh, powerbomb on the concrete floor uh, Douglas hit Scorpio with. I have no idea how Scorpio got up and then continued to wrestle for the next 15 minutes after that because his head and neck vibrated off that concrete in a hideous manner. Um, it was... A match of excellent highs and very few lows. I mean, I really enjoyed this from start to finish. And to get that out of a 26-minute match is a a job well done. So, yeah, I really enjoyed this. Chris? The the only downside I have with this match, because I'll get it out of the way first, is that they when they called the sort of the time on it, I thought I was then going to go to a timeout and I was like, oh, it's going to be, and they've pre-called it. It's going to be a time limit draw, nah. And Scorpio and his, he's done it before, where he doesn't pin people after big moves. Other than that, this match was awesome. The fact that Scorpio go, gets all his shit in, all his moves that someone his size should not be doing, you know, he shouldn't be able to do the twisting moon salts. The corkscrew leg drops, the handspring back kicks, and things like that. It's just, these are the sort of moves you expect a 180 pound Mexican to be doing, not a big lad like him. Um, Shane looks like since he's come back from being Dean, he has some real fire in his belly and wants to 
prove a point that he was worth being called up to the big leagues in the first place. And I think he just, he's got more about him again that he did back in 94 when we first started doing this, we first started seeing the whole ECW thing. He's more of the Shane um, from before he went to the WWF than the one that has come back is much better. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think I, I talk about Lex Luger a lot when I talk about motivation. Douglas is a guy that probably more than most is... No, I wouldn't suspect Shane Douglas is a very good poker player. Let me say that. I don't think he's the kind of guy that can particularly hide well when he's not feeling particularly happy. Um, I'm with you both on this. I had my faults with it, probably a little bit different to yours. My faults are probably less to do with Scorpio's not pinning and more to do with Scorpio's lack of selling. I think if you're going to do a, a jackknife powerbomb on the concrete on the outside, maybe it's just Shane Douglas taking a stab at diesel but if you're gonna do a jackknife power on the outside it needs to mean more than it did um i had a problem with that i had a problem also with scorpios not pitting people it doesn't really make any sense it's too cold scorpio last month coming out and saying that the tv title means more to him than the ecw world title and that it's you know he's worked very hard to, to get to this point why aren't you just getting the job done then that's a big problem and they need to either do that or explain to me at least have scorpio have an interview and say i'm doing this because i want to prove beyond doubt at least say something fill it in at the moment he just looks like a bit of a dweeb i know he's a heel or he's become one or whatever um that being said Best Shane Douglas match I've seen by some distance. 26 minutes, but it, this wasn't a 26-minute match that dragged. Um, and equally, it wasn't a 26-minute match that, you know, some some matches in ECW like this try and pack so much in, they don't have some effect either. Had the right balance. There were some good set pieces. I thought there were some really nice spots. I, you know, that the bit where Douglas is on the outside and he, he does the kind of suplex of Scorpio into the ropes and then like drops him onto the guardrail looked really good right until the point that uh, where Scorpio nearly broke his neck anyway. Um, that was good. Mm. Really good match. Chris White, any more thoughts before we get to the uh, first match? Yeah, I was just going to, on the uh, powerbomb on the outside, uh, you, that that particular spot and the impact it had in the match could have added so much more to it. Maybe this isn't a criticism of, of Joey Styles because I think being a one man, like doing it on your own is, is tough and he does an excellent job. But if you build up the idea that Douglas hitting a move with that force and impact on the outside is because he has no respect for the title, as he told us over and over again. So he's looking to win this match via count out because he doesn't really, really want to win the belt. And then, Scorpio sort of very determined, trying to prove that both he and the title are worthy of this respect, building into the the name of the show. Um, that particular instance and hitting a move like that on the outside really would have added to the story behind this match, but they didn't really build it up, as you say. There was no promo to to give you that insight, or or to or the, the comment. Well, Joey Styles didn't big that up in particular, but. If you, I think maybe if you, it, it, it could have been excellent, but it felt a bit flat that the, that, that particular move. To feel gold. Wow. 
wrestled and beaten the best this sport has to offer. vacation to hell last year and tonight I can stand here before God and you know my father above I have been in the ring with the Ricky Steamboats with a 50-year-old legend, Terry Funk. I've stood alongside all the greats that ECW had to offer. The Malencos, the Guerreros, the Benoits. good fortune of sitting in a dressing room with a lot of that know what hardcore wrestling is all about. I've had the good fortune to work with bookers like Paul Heyman. And that's respectful. For people like Todd Gordon. I think he finally respects that belt. And to wrestle in the best building in the face of the planet. shake your hand because all those people I mentioned before may rank second to the franchise and at one time I thought I was the greatest in the world but tonight without reservation I can say you are a step above even me there have been a long lineage of great television champions in ECW the Malencos, Guerreros, right down the list. Tonight it starts for the franchise. But atop that list is two gold Scorpio. and you're the best there is. Tonight, Scorpio, I want to show all those hardcore sons of bitches in the back, all the young guys in this business, all those old pieces of 
Atlanta and all those 205 pound punks in Stanford, Connecticut, what respect is all about. The greatest of shaking your hand and from the greatest television champion to the new television champion, I'm going to ask you to show everybody what respect is and strap this belt around my waist. Douglas looks to the sky, says he's wrestled and beaten the best the sport has to offer. He he had a six-month vacation to hell last year, but he can stand here before God and before his father above. He has been in the ring with Ricky Steamboat, Terry Funk, Dean Malenko, Eddie Guerrero, Chris Benoit. I've had the good fortune to work with bookers like Paul Heyman and Todd Gordon and to wrestle in the best building on the face of the planet. At one time, I thought I was in the great I was the greatest in the world, but tonight I can say that without reservation that you two cold scorpio are a step above even me douglas then asks him to show him the respect by strapping the belt around his waist predictably scorpio shapes to do it and then hits him over the head with the belt before pile driving him he puts the belt on douglas's face puts the chair on top of that and then drops a leg onto the pile chris lacy what do you think i uh think that with this it proves that Scorpio is one, wants his belt back and is not happy that he lost. Which, you know, when wins and losses mean something, it's always better. Um, the respect thing, I, I get obviously it's the, the name of the show, but it just seemed, they were trying to push it a little bit too much to try and get it into every single match. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I think at the end of Mikey and Jericho, it felt about right. Here it felt that they were hamming it up a bit too much. Go, Chris Carroll. It just... I think the whole point with Shane saying, sort of in the build-up to this, that he didn't want the belt. He only wants the world title, but yet he then wants Too Cold to put the belt on him and sort of crown him the new champion it just it didn't make sense Chris? I mean to me it just uh, I agree on it not making sense and I also agree on it uh, feeling a bit overkill on the respect sort of trying to force it almost into matches that didn't necessarily have that much of a level to its story that where it was uh, crucial to it um, as a promo, it was excellent. The delivery was excellent. Um, having not seen a lot of the early ECW and uh, Shane Douglas in ECW initially before he went to the WWF, I've always heard about how great a promo he was and not seen it too much. So if this is kind of like a, a, a taste of how good he can be, uh, then, yeah, again, wonderful. I, I think him sort of saying he doesn't want the belt and then having won it wants to be sort of coronated by the former champion just sort of a uh, a way to get heat I suppose and turn Scorpio into sort of that sort of baby face that has the real fire of the crowd behind him if he's going back for another shot of the belt that he's just lost yeah the whole thing with you know Douglas not wanting the title Scorpio you know at the end of last month's show excuse me it felt like they'd they kind of crowbarred something in just for the sake of, you know, just trying to create a new storyline. This kind of felt a bit like that too. It, you know, the match wasn't that good, Shane, 
you know, like it was in a, it wasn't a masterpiece. And yet you're saying, well, I wrestled Ricky Steamboat, Terry Funk, Dean Malenko, Eddie Guerrero, Chris Benoit. You're better than me. It almost felt like it was a promo that was setting up for Douglas turning on Scorpio. That was kind of what I felt like and that he was hamming it up so much that it felt like Douglas was about to say, you know, like, say, no, it was all a lie. I was going to beat you all along or something akin to that. All fell a bit out of place. The bit where Douglas, you know, said, put the belt around me. I mean, that was obvious. The crowd reaction, I think, like, is a bit obvious. It was all right, but I think they... We need some Douglas promos, is the long story short. Hardcore TV, give me some Douglas promos. I think we actually... Did we get more from But, yeah, give me some more Douglas promos. would be my ultimate request. Move on. It's Sabu versus Rob Van Dam. Sabu goes for a takedown. Van Dam moves, and a second time. Van Dam actually gets a leg and escapes, and it's a lovely leg drop onto the back. But Sabu escapes, sorry, and hits a lovely leg drop onto the back of Van Dam's head. On the outside, Sabu vaults off the chair with a side attack onto Van Dam on the guardrail. Van Dam slips whilst planting his foot on a chair, or a part of the guardrail. He catches himself with a few fans chant, you fucked up at him. Sabu drapes Van Damme across the second rope unfolds the chair underneath and hits his head dropping a leg drop into the melee that looked nasty I'll explain that properly so Van Damme was draped across the second rope Sabu unfolded the chair and placed the seat of the chair underneath Van Damme's head and then dropped a leg drop from the top rope onto Van Damme which sent his head into the chair seat that didn't look fun at all Sabu hits a Frankenstein off the top for a two, and it's a lovely springboard DDT. Sabu unfolds the chair, bolts off it onto the top rope into the crowd, where he meets a chair thrown by Van Damme. Van Damme hits a flip dive of his own onto Sabu on the floor. Back in the ring, the pair exchange slap on their knees. Van Damme boats Sabu in the eye. Van Damme locks in a surfboard stretch and then nearly gets a pin. Sabu hits a slingshot of Van Damme for a two, then locks in an arm lock. He then hits a moonsault for a two. Vadao hits a rolling splash for a two. He goes to the top and Sabu just launches a chair at his face. Sabu involves the chair, runs onto it. Van Damme goes for a leapfrog, but Sabu just waits and then hits a drop kick once he lands. Van Damme goes to the top. Sabu gets crotched and then Van Damme hits a lovely head scissors. Sabu hits a sunset flip onto the floor. He then lays Van Damme onto a table in the crowd. I think we know where this is going. Bloody hell, you might know where it's going, but it still doesn't stop it being awesome. Sabu opts for a triple jump into a splash this time and goes crashing through Van Damme and the table. That was excellent. A while later, Sabu goes to the top. Van Damme charges at him, and it's a lovely stalling brain buster from the second row. When I say lovely stalling brain buster, on second viewing, he just basically... Was it that one? Um, no, sorry, it wasn't that one. Next one. That brain buster was quite nice. Uh, it was like a DDT almost. Sabu then hits an ace crusher from the second rope and Van Damme lands hard on his head. Sabu goes for a triple jump moonsault right across in the ring, but this time Van Damme gets the knees up, kind of keeping out the idea that he scouted him from the finish last month. Sabu stumbles around the ring in pain. Van Damme goes to the second rope and hits a spike. Fisherman's Buster from the second rope for a two. Um, that basically... Sabu didn't just land on his head with that Fisherman's Buster. He kind of rolled on his head. Didn't look fun at it all. Looked, it, was a, it was the one that looked like he may have just broken his neck again yeah. after the Benoit drop. Pretty much. Van Damme hits a split-legged moonsault from the top rope, and that's enough for the win. I suspect that may have been an audible, because Sabu wasn't really moving a lot. The crowd are shocked in the silence. Both men struggle for a couple of minutes even to get to their feet. Uh, we'll come to the post-match in a second. Chris Lacey, what do you think? 
these two together are the perfect fool for each other. Um, their styles mesh so well with them both being very, very unorthodox in the way they move around the ring, the moves they do in the ring. Um, I think these two could have a very long and sort of poignant rivalry, and I will quite happily watch lots of it. Chris? This was just mental. I mean, they did everything and anything to each other, basically. Uh, It was just sort of... It was just brutal. I mean, there was so much going on. There was, like, in the early going, you had that leg drop on the chair from uh, Sabu when the chair was set up and uh, Van Damme was sort of draped across it. That was great. There was just simple... Well, I say simple things, but, I mean, in terms of what they did in this match, there was just a springboard DDT into the ring. It's by no means simple. Like, it's like some of the... But it's just out of everything they do, it's amongst the simplest stuff. That... uh uh Fisherman Buster or Brain Buster, whatever one where Sabu landed on his head was a hideous moment though, because it, he, it was really, really bad. But at that point, you're kind of thinking, when they've done as much as they have in this match, and this isn't a criticism, I guess, it could be, but it was just so fun, you wouldn't want to be negative about it, but they've hit each other with so much stuff, so many things, that when the finish is just a split-legged moonsault, it feels flat, but as you say, it did feel like a almost an audible. Maybe that would have been the finish anyway. Maybe it sort of they sped it up a bit, uh, sped it up a bit more because Sabu was legitimately injured. Yeah, I, I think you might be right. It might have been the move they would have finished with, but we, they cut out some stuff to get there. Yeah, either either way, I mean, say Sabu wasn't hurt. When you've done the stuff that they've done to each other in this match, and it ends with. A split leg moonsault from the top, like no chairs, no tables. That is gonna fall flat to me, no matter what the circumstances. Um, but you do have to give them kind of a pass because they may have built to it in a certain way had the injury not occurred. But this, all in all, like I don't want to be negative. Um, this was sensational. It was excellent stuff. Yeah, it wasn't quite as good as the match last month. Match last month, I think, was a bit longer. Um, it also helped that they both walked away under their own steam. Uh, last month um, but yeah this was still a lot of fun I think for, for two guys that I I don't think I, I don't know that Van Damme's done a lot of Japan, Japan work before this so I may be wrong I don't think these two wrestled very much for this this run started a few months ago they've got a very good chemistry off the bat I think it helps that they're one both quite willing to do different stuff and they're all both so also both quite similar even though Van Damme's bigger um, but that that triple jump splash into the crowd is, I don't think that's ever not going to be excellent. I mean, the, the noise that Sabu makes when he goes through that table is so good. I mean, I, I always say with Sabu, like he's, I feel like every match he has takes about three months off of his lifespan, but you know, I'm not going to try and stop it if he wants to do this kind of stuff. So fun to watch these two guys. I mean, you know, that's, it's gonna come with the territory. You're gonna wrestle a match like this. I mean, all wrestling's dangerous, but you're adding another couple of levels onto it when you're explicitly going out of your way to do this kind of style. Hell of a lot of fun. The finish, I agree. I think we'll give them a pass. But it, it, yeah, um, 
Yeah, but Sabu was in no condition to complete the match and wasn't really in any condition to do what they tried afterwards. I mean, like they, the post-match Van Damme is lying around, I think largely selling, although I could forgive him if he was hurting as well. And there's a couple of shots where they, they kind of get a close-up with camera on Sabu who tries to sit up. That weren't selling, I don't think. He's very good if it was. That was Sabu trying to get his bearings. They got him to, and also they've got this whole post-match angle planned, and Sabu just staggers to the back. And we, this point, the, the the tape we've got cuts. They cut to a couple of replays, and then we cut back into the ring, and Paul Heyman's out there with Sabu, who's come back out. I don't know how long would intervene at this point. Paul Heyman said that Sabu had kind of walked away from the paramedic. I hope for Paul Heyman's case that's true because Sabu really weren't in any fucking condition to do any post-match angle. But they dragged his ass back out there anyway. Sabu staggers to his feet, grabs the microphone, mumbles something, says respect, holds out his hand. Van Damme slaps uh, his hand out of the way and says, not only do I not respect you, respect you, sorry, you're a piece of shit. Van Damme goes to the outside, shakes Bill Alfonso's hand and says, I respect you, Bill Alfonso. Alfonso and Taz are out there by this point. Taz is on the our way and says, there's a time and a place for everything. And they end the segment by helping Sabu onto a bodyboard. Um, Chris White, I... Uh, they had an angle to do. I, uh, I I'd almost rather for Sabu's sake they didn't. I don't know. I don't know whether Sab- if Sabu insists, I guess you got to do it, but I don't know. No, I agree. I mean, if the, the angle in terms of Sabu's involvement, because it could have easily been done with him on him being stretched out, as uh, Rob Van Dam says, I don't respect you, you're a piece of shit, and finds Bill Alfonso and uh, Taz in the back, and you just get Sabu the hell out of there. If he insists, it's a, it's a whole different matter, I suppose. I, I suspect as well from sort of the awkward ending of the post-match segment, where Taz just, is sort of just staring him down for a while and then just leaves. It, they may have had slightly more planned there on the physical side between Taz and Sabu if Sabu had it in him to stand, and at this stage he didn't. So it's not one of those segments you're going to be... You can't be critical of the execution because clearly someone is very hurt. But the very idea that you have to get something out there, I mean, you don't know what Sabu's mentality or mindset is. It might be, yeah, as you say, it could have been entirely his call. Now I'm going back out there with, with doing this. Um, but all in all, probably not the best decision to throw it out there anyway. Chris? Yeah, I have to agree with Chris there that it seemed that they could have quite easily done the RVD with Fonzie bit without having to drag drag Sabu back out after sort of if they had got him out the into the back, that's where he should have stayed because let's face it, he wasn't really with us. There's there's clearly at least a concussion going on. He should have been left to just sort of be dealt with, not have to come out and do 
what either in the sort of long scheme of things will probably be a pretty pointless angle. And the worst bit of the entire thing was probably before that the the actual angle started was when after the match finished and Sabu kind of staggered to his feet, they have a camera at the kind of end of the hallway and we watch Sabu just kind of drunkenly stagger and crash into the guardrail as he's trying to make his own way to the back. It was just ugly and yeah... I'll give him credit though, like, if it was all these, like, idea, I gotta get back out there and finish his angle. He looked like a fucking badass getting back out there. And Heyman, one thing I didn't mention was Heyman came out and said, this isn't part of the show. We're out here because Sabu is trying to fulfill the stipulation of the match. Again, I hope that's true. Um, but, uh, yeah, a, a bit weird. Heyman saying we're not watching part of the show and then cutting to something that's very clearly an angle. Um, that was a bit jarring. But the whole thing, I think, will give them a pass on in the sense that when something clearly goes awry, you make decisions in the moment and you don't necessarily make them with a lot of foreplanning in mind. You just go with what you go with. And as I say, I... I like to think that it was Sabu's call. I, that's the one I'm most comfortable with, anyway. And it's time for the main event. It's primetime Brian Lee and the Eliminators, Sam and Cronus, versus Tommy Dreamer and the Gangsters, New Jack and Mustafa. The tag titles are still spray-painted with the X from last month. Dreamer and the Gangsters storm the ring with garbage cans full of weapons, and we start a brawl. Mustafa runs Lee into the guardrail. Dreamer smashes an egg. New Jack throws himself at Saturn in the crowd. I should probably preface this as I do with most ECW arena wide brawls. I apologise for the lack of coherence in these notes. I'll re- read you verbatim what I took down. Sabu charges at Dreamer and sends him over the top. Kronos then hits a cartwheel backflip over the top onto Dreamer. Saturn hits an Asai moonsault into the crowd. Dreamer follows and hits a plancher to the outside. The guardrail is now round up against the ring. Dreamer breaks off a section of guardrail. Saturn hits a running dropkick onto Mustafa. Mustafa hits a running power slam onto Saturn for a two count. He follows this with a press slam. Lee hits Dreamer with a chair, but he kicks out two. Saturn heads to the camera position and hits a double axe handle onto Mustafa. Mustafa hits a suplex and Dreamer uh, and Lee and Dreamer join them by the Eagle's Nest. Lee chokes Dreamer with a telephone cord. On the Eagle's Nest, adjacent to the hard camera, Lee suplexes Dreamer through a table and then just launches Dreamer off of the Eagle's Nest. In the ring, it's the Eliminators versus the Gangsters. Mustafa hits Cronus with what looked to be an action figure of sorts. Dreamer goes for a big splash from the top. Saturn misses, then hits a lovely swinging neckbreaker. Saturn drops a big knee. The heels team up on Dreamer. A while later, Dreamer DDTs Lee, then shapes to the pile driver. But Stevie Richards comes out and hits a Stevie kick onto the back of Dreamer's head. Richards does a Michaels pose, but Beulah and Kimona come out and drag Richards literally by the balls to the back. They're also saying the ladies brought out a cinder block. Dreamer hits Lee over the crotch with a chair onto the cinder block a la last month, but Saturn breaks up the pin. Saturn sets up a table, lays Dreamer on it, but Dreamer gets up and DDT Saturn off the top through the table. He goes for a pin, but Cronus breaks it up. New Jack, hit, New Jack hits a splash with the chair off the top, goes for a pin, and that will do that. Chris Lacey. This was your standard ECW hardcore walking brawl arena fair, and it's awesome as per usual, because, you know, when you do it properly... 
like the gangsters do and the eliminators do. And, and when you Tommy do it sparingly the, as well. It, yeah, and, you know, and it's sparingly used and you only get the one in the, in the night. It has a purpose and it's enjoyable. If you get, like you were saying last month's show where it was like pretty much the whole show was walking brawls, you're not going to bother wanting to see that because it just gets too much. Because these things you can't follow because you've got New Jack over one side with someone, one of the Eliminators outside the ring that side. You've got Brian Lee and Tommy Dreamer going up towards the Eagle's Nest and you've got Mustafa on the other and Cronus on the other side of the ring and the arena. It's just you your brain can't take in everything and the cameras can't follow everything. So having just the one and having it be the way they've done this one works because you expect it from New Jack. If I see New Jack in a proper wrestling match, I I don't know what I'll I think I might actually quit watching wrestling because my brain won't be able to comprehend that that can actually happen. I'd still like to see New Jack and Rey Mysterio. With with weapons, maybe. I, I just don't see it without. Well, okay. Chris White. Yeah, this was uh, just the epitome of what an ECW hardcore, all over the place, chaotic brawl is meant to be, but interspersed through the standard ECW brawls, you had some excellent pro wrestling manoeuvres. The uh, 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 the uh, DDT at the end from uh, Dreamer was lovely. The, the, as you said, Saturn hit a lovely swing in uh, neck breaker halfway through. Um, we just it was just chaos. It was a mess, and I mean that as the biggest compliment I could possibly say that with. It was all over the place, but it's fun, and then. I, I mean, I wasn't. I was probably lucky enough not to have to sit through last month's ECW show with uh, how it sounded. But it's just when you do it sparingly, as you say, it can be fun and it serves a purpose. And it's fun for the live crowd, and it's also fun to watch at the end of a show. Like it's just the perfect way to use them. And like you said, maybe at the top of the show, maybe last month was a, a wake-up call of sorts for ECW management because. Maybe going forward, this is how we're going to see these types of brawls. You'll get one a night, and it will serve a purpose and enhance a story, and it won't be an entire show of it. And maybe we've got change for the better, and this matches the start of it because it was it was fantastic. Yeah, it's it, it, one thing I said already about using it sparingly, but also about using it in matches that matter. Sometimes you'll get, you know, they're trying to build up this idea of a brawl where it's these really big programs, and then you get a brawl, arena-wide brawl between two guys that never face each other before, and it's like, why? But this one made sense. We had Dreamer and, and, and Brian Lee that had a beef. We had the gangsters and the eliminators that had a beef. And it was also in the sense that, you know, Dreamer, routine up with the gangsters, comes out at the same time with a three garbage cans full of weapons, and it's like, okay, it's on, all rules are off. And it's funny, we review these shows, we've done a lot of them now, I think the last kind of six months, we've done almost all of them in terms of one a month. Generally, the main event doesn't make it a hardcore TV, but this one does. So if you want to see a kind of, a typical ECW main event type match that often doesn't make it to hardcore TV because it's the main event. This one does. I think it's the final hardcore TV of the month. So if you want to watch and see what this kind of match is like. I mean, in terms of 
Chris White, in terms of the match, did you, was it a good match? I guess that's an interesting question. Maybe not necessarily did you enjoy it, but was it a good match? Um, no. <laughs> it's, it's very enjoyable, but in terms of a pro wrestling match, it's not a good match. It's a mess. But when this is what you're trying to pull off, having a mess that's fun and there's loads of cool spots, loads of hard hitting action and it's all over the place and it flies by in a flash and you really enjoy yourself. It doesn't really matter and it would matter, but it would matter if this was how all the other matches or the majority of the matches on the show felt as well. But when you do it and as the main event, it works perfectly and this is, this is a great example of that. Chris? Yeah, um, one of the better matches of of this kind where you have the massive brawls, and as you said, because it meant something, because they're all interlocked in stories against each other. Um, is it a wrestling match of, of the same sort of level of the RVD and Sabu, or the Jericho and Mikey Ripwreck? No. But, you know, it is trademark ECW. Yeah, it's kind of, you know, I know I said last month all rewrite brawls are the same. I would agree with you, Christo, in the sense that I think because there were six men involved in the match, there was generally always something going on in the ring. So there wasn't any big patch of matches where the camera was just aimlessly following two guys around the arena because there was the only two people they could follow. From a, from an in-fan perspective, there were things probably going on around you at various points, but there was always something to see. And from a viewing perspective, watching the tape, where it wasn't in the eagle's nest, there was generally always something going on in the ring. So while I said last month they were all the same, because there was enough people in this match, it was an arena-wide brawl that was probably better than the norm. Um, but yeah, I agree. Not a good match, but a fun one. But that's a lot of these main events uh chris lazy your overall thoughts on this show and a score rating out of 10 this is a well worth watch show um it personifies ecw again as they these shows can do at times where you get you bit you've got your hardcore you've got some wrestling you know it's it's all the bits that are good about ECW in one show altogether. And definitely worth a watch. And I would give it seven. Chris? I'm actually a lot more positive on this show after spending the last hour and a bit talking it through. Um, there's three excellent matches. Three matches I would probably tell anyone to seek out and watch, which would be the three-way dance, the the, the World Heavyweight Championship match. Um, the Douglas to Quad Scorpio match is excellent, and RVD Sabu, and even to an extent this main event. So maybe four four matches I thoroughly enjoyed in this match. Um, there's three lesser matches that you'd do well to avoid, um, in my opinion. Obviously, uh, Chris Lacey has a different opinion of the Chris Jericho match than myself. Uh, the opener was... Every match sort of seemed to serve a purpose. So, on reflection, I will agree with Chris and give this one a seven. Yeah, uh, I gave this show a seven and a half. Um, it's the best ECW show since November to remember. Last November, obviously. Um, it's the first ECW show since November to remember that has had at least three matches that I would say definitely go out of your way to watch. Um, and three matches that, that had different styles, um, you know, in terms of 
the the three-way dance was your kind of mess of an ECW title match, but for once it was a mess that was actually quite enjoyable. With the addition of Pitbull 2, it made it so much better than it would have been had it not been in it. And the the stuff towards the end, I can't, you know, crowds, ECW crowds get into matches in the sense that they appreciate them, but they never kind of, I don't think ECW fans often get drawn into a match like they did this one. They got drawn into this match, and for once they were invested in near falls, which doesn't always happen. Sabu and RVD is definitely worth watching, even though it wasn't quite the match it was last month. And Douglas and Scorpio has its weaknesses, and then beyond that you've got a fun main event, and a decent match between Michael Whitback and Chris Jericho. Seven and a half out of ten. Fun show. You see, this all dates back to when Chris Benoit dumped Sabu on his head back in November 1994. See, only three people in this world know the truth about the extent of Sabu's injuries that night. Sabu himself, me, and somebody who I begged Sabu to team with as a favor to me. Now somebody went to Rob Van Dam and told him the truth about Sabu's injuries. Somebody went to Rob Van Dam and explained to him just how severe the neck injury Sabu suffered truly was. Somebody went to Rob Van Dam and told him how vulnerable Sabu is. Somebody went to Rob Van Dam and told him that the doctors actually said to Sabu, you should never ever wrestle again. Now, it wasn't Sabu that told Rob Van Dam, and it sure as hell wasn't me that told Rob Van Dam. Somebody's making a game out of a very serious situation. And it's time that somebody just plain stopped. Somebody, somebody, let's give credit where credit's due. Castle Bonds, all about Sabu's neck injury. Fonzie ran into Van Damme's dressing room and stoots it off right to his face. Hey, Van Damme, this is how to do it. The guy's got a vertebrae out of shape like that. And you know what he did? He beat him. He laid him out. He pinned him for a three count. Can you believe that? And I told him how to do it. There's only one problem with that. If Rob Van Dam could beat you and put you out for 10 minutes, just imagine what I could do to you if you ever had the guts to get in the ring with me. We come back for the TV review for the rest of the month. Uh, with the odd exception, this is pretty much stuff we already covered, so I'll rattle through this and I might, I might, uh, jump to the Chris's at a couple of stages just for some comments. Uh, on May 14th, we open up with a, uh, a video of, for a matter of respect, showing Sabu running out, laying waste to Damon and El Puerto Ricano. We then get a full rerun of Douglas and two Cold Scorpio, including the post-match angles, so that's pretty much the entirety of the 14th show. We end it with Taz pre- Previewing a match with two cold Scorpio and he says it's shoot time. This is shoot time. Yeah, we discussed that last month. Uh, May 21st opens up with narrated stills montage of the Van Damme Sabu match. 
Paul Heyman talked about the time Sabu injured his neck in a match with Chris Benoit. He says someone went to Rob Van Dam and told him of the truth about the extent of Sabu's injuries. Somebody is making a game out of a very serious situation. We then get a promo from Bill Alfonso and Taz. Fonzie says Taz told Fonzie all about Sabu's neck injury and Fonzie went to Van Dam's dressing room and told him exactly how to do it. Taz says, imagine what he could do to Sabu if he had the guts to get in the ring with him. We cut to Allentown for a match between Tuchel, Scorpio and Taz. They're bidding this as a heated rivalry after Scorpio broke Taz's neck last year. Douglas blindsides Scorpio as the match starts. Taz hits a suplex and puts him in the Taz mission for the win. Taz gets on the mic and says he's waited 10 months to get his hands on Scorpio. The fans chant, fuck you Taz. The longer... The longer you make me wait, the more vicious the ass-kicking becomes. Uh, Chris White, what do you think of this? Or this whole thing? I thought it was uh, excellent. I mean, it's a great way to manipulate Sabu's pretty bad injury as part of the story moving forward. And it explains the partnership between uh, Rob Van Dam and uh, Taz and Alfonso that we saw at a matter of respect. And um, it just adds more fuel to the fire of Taz. I mean, he, him and his whole act is just excellent at the moment. And, uh, it, like, long may it continue. It's, it's, it, it only seems to get more heated as the story progresses. And, um, the payoff for this when him and Sabu do eventually go at each other is going to be a spectacle. Yeah. They, they need to fill some bits in, I think. Um, but we'll get there. Oh, yeah. The, the bit about, the the whole thing with like knowing Sabu's weakness. Um Chris I see a question for you, I'm not sure if you've seen this bit, but I don't know that it's a weakness that dropping on someone on their head might leave them with a stinger. I kind of like the story they told, but it didn't really make sense. I, I think it is an easy sort of story to say now after the fact. Because if Sabu does need to take a month or so off because his neck's playing him up, it's an easy way of keeping him in in the ethos and in people's minds. And, you know, Alfonso can be more of a prick because he can somehow claim that it was all his fault and, you know, keep up that great reputation he has of being an absolute prize prick. And as Chris was saying, the moment we get Sabu and Taz together... It's it's gonna be special. Yeah, we're getting there. Still got some stuff to fill in, but we're getting there. I'll say that. After rerun of Jericho versus Whiprack, we join the ECW fan cam from Action for a False Count Anywhere live event involving Brian Lee and Tommy Dreamer. They're just in the street. They're actually in someone's front garden. Dreamer kicks out having, after having had his head rammed into a post, and they're being followed by a group of fans chanting ECW, ECW. We then get a run of the three-way title match for a matter of respect. We join Bubba Ray Dudley learning to drive the Dudley Driving School. Thanks to sign guy Dudley for helping with that. He was holding a sign saying that. After juttering forward and accelerating backwards very quickly, Bubba gets out of the car and just runs away. We still haven't got the Bubba Ray Shane Douglas vignettes, but more of this, please. On to Hardcore TV on the 28th. We open up with a musical montage of Brian Pillman's run in the promotion a couple of months ago. We get another pro from Heyman, who basically retells the story from last week. You fucked my man, big time, and now Sabu's coming after you. 
and get highlights from a house show with two calls Scorpio faking Chris Jericho. Scorpio, Scorpio hits the outside hard with a splash that Jericho evades, wins the match cleanly out, hitting a tombstone pile driver and a moonsault leg drop. Joey Styles then documents problems with Sabu's knee over highlights of Douglas versus Sandman versus Dreamer for another event. Scorpio threw it in the towel, but Sandman will compete at the house show this weekend. Sandman apparently all month after that show wasn't working very well, but he was working. C. Richards says, uh, C. Richards joins Styles and says he's going to hand Missy Hyatt a deposition for his upcoming sexual harassment lawsuit. We get in-ring comments from Raven in Allentown. He says the reason he bought Kimona to ECW was he knew she was having an affair. Uh, as long as I was with Kimona, I could still be with Beulah in spirit. When I was with Kimona, sometimes I could still taste Beulah. Raven then says, I think makes up some sexist comments for ordering Richards to bring in the scantiest, ugliest, scummiest tramp bleep that you can possibly find. After rerun of the Dudley's match, we join Bubba Ray at a payphone trying to call Big Dick Dudley. Uh, Devon runs him off. Style says Big Dick needs to return to establish the authority of the family. C. Richards says he's Big Dick Dudley's biggest fan. It's no secret that Steve Richards loves Big Dick. The show ends with a full rerun of the main event of A Matter of Respect. After that, Joey Style says we will see the first appearance of Brian Pillman at the next show after his car accident. And that will bring to a conclusion this month's show. Firstly, thank you to Chris Lacey. You're welcome, Bob. Uh, Chris, tell people where they can find you on Twitter and tell people about your Super Bowls podcast. They can find it, me, personally, tweeting football and modern-day wrestling and musical things at Lacey555666. And, obviously, you can find me doing my usual podcasting about WCW on Super Bowls. Uh, nice and easy to find on the Twitter and Facebook. Just search Super Bowls. And we're on iTunes. Um, we have just done the middle of 1991 so Flair has left to go to the WWF Ooh, okay. and we have the show we last show we did may actually be the worst show that there ever was because Flair left I, I, ooh, I don't know I don't know Battle Bowl 93 I don't know this is definitely well so far this is the worst show we've done right and it's you can tell it was a rush job because Flair left literally two weeks beforehand as the champion. They are throwing as much as they can against the wall and hoping something sticks. And it it wasn't big or clever. But hopefully the coming shows will be a bit better because they will have known that Flair's now not there and will Go Have ahead accordingly, yeah. Are we at Chamber of Horrors now? Is that around this uh, time? Chamber of Horrors is the... Obviously, we lost a show this week, so we need to re-record it. And then the next show after that is Chamber of Horrors. Right. With uh, Abdullah getting electrocuted. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. That, that, uh, that spectacle. I think, I think Flair's return is the, the first clash on the first show we ever did. I think that'd be August 93. Does that sound about right? About then, yeah. Yeah. I think it must be, because I, I got a feeling Flair, Flair wrestled, uh, I think it was a Loser Leaves Town match on Raw. 
with just, Mr. Perfect. Yeah, just, and obviously that would have been early 93, just before the thing started. Because there was the whole thing where Flair was back on WCW TV, I think, but couldn't wrestle. I think that was the agreement that they'd come to. So he was doing the whole Flair for the gold things, and we got the Shockmaster thing off of that. Oh, that's an experience, but it will, uh, obviously we've done that. Chris, you will come to that in a short while. Uh, Chris White, thank you very much. Thanks for having me, Bob. Uh, Chris, people can find you on Twitter and tell them about your podcast. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at ChrisWhite14. If you fancy checking out a bit of modern day wrestling, you can find Podplex City on Twitter and iTunes and SideCloud at Podplex City. Um, haven't done a, a show for a while. It's been a bit of a lull recently, but there's an archive of about 30 or so episodes and it should be back up and running again in the near future. Excellent. If you want to hear me, Chris and Kieran discuss a Red Pro show from January, that's on there. Uh, yes, plugs and things. I'll remember it, I'll mention it now on the basis that I may forget for the next two, and it's probably maybe perhaps not worth plugging for all three, but it's on one of the shows. You want to hear me on the New Generation Project podcast discussing Leicester City of all things. That podcast now exists. You'll have to go to Stuart's SoundCloud page at soundcloud.com forward slash new gen podcast. It's called uh, Forever Fearless, the Leicester City story or something like that. Um, if you're interested in English football, that's me, Stuart, Adam and Paul discussing Leicester. There's some wrestling uh, I'll call them jokes. I'll let you whether you thought they were funny or not. But there's some wrestling humour in there anyway, attempted from me. We have a chat about Leicester City. Uh, four volumes this month. It's very possible you actually will end up being strapped onto the end. So if you are part of the, the group of people that listen to these shows right off the bat, it might not be there, but for the rest of you, it probably will be. Um, That'll be me, Chris, and I think probably Tom, depending on if we can get him in, discussing USC 9. Volume 1 is WCW. We're looking at Slamboree. I'm watching that tomorrow. That's going to be a, a different show. Um, 15 matches. That sounds crazy. We'll see how that comes off on a, on a two hour, 50 minute pay-per-view. Also the small, small matter of the re-debut, I suppose, of Scott Hall at the end of May. WWF Volume 2, In Your House 8, Beware of Dog. Uh, that pay-per-view, the one that was affected by the power cut that takes place across two nights. Also, the small matter of the curtain call. And also, if I can get him on, we're going to have a, a special retrospective chat. Um, I'll basically use it, I'll, I'll get Stuart Brooks on to do a special post-show retrospective chat, looking at the influence on the click on the WWF. Because... The click, you will have noticed, have directly barely featured in this podcast because a lot of stuff's obviously going on behind the scenes, but I was kind of approaching it and thinking, oh, we're going to get to mid-95, I'm going to be hearing all these stories left, right and centre of the click. The click really has been this on-screen idea of Sean Michaels and his fans, but I'm going to sound Stuart out and try and... One, I think it felt a bit weird we get to the curtain call... And you might listen to this and think, where does the click feature in all this? That's kind of part of the reason I'm getting sure on, because hopefully I can sound him out about that, and we can discuss a few things about that. That's Volume 2. This is Volume 3. UFC 9, Volume 4, including quite possibly the worst UFC match ever. Chris, is this the show we're getting Sam Rock, Sam Rock and Seven, is that right? Yeah, I believe it's the Super Fight. Or, well, I mean, quite an ironic name when you look at it, but yeah. I think it is. 
haven't, haven't watched it yet, but we'll be covering that on this month as well. And that'll do that. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Bobby Bamba. You can find all the info you need at Wrestling20YRS.com. If you're on uh, iTunes, you leave us a rating and a review. And that'll do that. I have been Bob Bamba. This has been Volume 3 of the May 1996 edition of the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast. And until next time, goodbye. <laughs>